How many of you are a little bit on the grumpy side because you're missing that hour of sleep? Can I see your hand? It's okay. You can admit it. How many of you are still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Any of y'all? Oh, man. Y'all are one of the morning people, aren't you? <laughs> hey, I'm kind of one of those morning people, and it is good to see you, and it is always good to be in God's house on one hour less sleep or whatever. It doesn't matter. And uh, I got to tell you, as always, I'm just always excited to see this beautiful church family. Thank you so much for being a part of it. I think I tell you guys on a regular basis, but if I ever forget to, don't, uh, don't get it twisted. I love you guys and appreciate you so much, and I feel honored to be your pastor. So today, I'm actually not going to be be reading passages of scripture as much as referring to a passage of scripture and then talking about certain and very specific quotes from that passage. So if you do have your Bibles or if you have your phones and you're doing it in that way, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to go from that point, and I will be quoting and, and sharing some direct uh, quotes from that, but I will also be telling you a little bit about the story. We just simply don't have time to cover all that we need to cover, to talk about what we need to talk about, and to read two, uh, well, a chapter and a half uh, of God's Word together. So I'll just be reading scriptures and then telling the story as we go. So it's a little different today, but I know that you'll be fine and you'll catch along and move along with us. So today is actually our very first time to be in this brand new study, brand new teaching series that I'm going to be preaching from for the next eight weeks. It's actually called, Who Do You Think I Am? And it is Jesus in his own words. And actually, if you'll go ahead and go to the next slide, you will see uh, that this uh, idea and concept that you see here is that Jesus actually referred to himself as I am. Seven different times at least he referred to himself in different ways of being the I am. And as you can kind of see, we normally have our screen up here. We normally have a little bit more going on in our screen in the back. And something's going on a little different than that today. Uh, hopefully we'll get that fixed, but there is a, a few technical difficulties, but I think you'll still be able to follow along. And at worst case scenario, you'll just have to listen to me straight. But here's what we know. If you've ever read the book of John, you have read some of these things and some of them are going to sound somewhat familiar to you. When Jesus says in John chapter six, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. And you might have even heard him uh, say that or read about that. Or in John uh, chapter 8, verse 12, where he says, I am the light of the world as long as I am in this world. Uh, he also said in John chapter 8, verse 58, my own personal favorite, when he was dealing with his critics and his skeptics, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And then they're like, what are you talking about? Abraham has been long gone and long dead. And Jesus says, yeah, well, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. And so he is doing something in all of these different verses of Scripture that is really tweaking every single one of the Jewish leaders. He's hitting them right where they live and telling them some things that they don't want to hear. He is claiming to be co-equal with the thing that they love and fear and revere the very most, and that is God Jehovah. You've probably heard of him referred to as God Jehovah. Let's see your hands. Make sure y'all are awake with me. 
you've heard that before. So we know that God is actually referred to in the Old Testament as a number of different names which talk about the character and the qualities that God himself have. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but I also want to communicate some things to you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be getting to... Uh, some of the things that are up on that screen, and each week we'll be talking about one of the I am's that Jesus has. But today, we're going to go all the way back and kind of look in the background that you and I have to understand to understand why exactly Jesus was tweaking them so much every time he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. And it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. And their hero, their cornerstone figure, their cornerstone character of the Old Testament, whose name is Moses. If you know much about the law of the Jewish people, it still to this day is in effect, and it is from the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and those five books are known as the Torah or the law. And so if you look at them and you see those things, those are kind of the most revered parts of the scriptures to any Jewish person. So you look at those five books and you see in Exodus, that second book, you see the story of Moses. It begins actually in Exodus 1 and Exodus chapter 2 when he was a baby and he was drawn out of the water. He was spared. He was miraculously spared and not killed along with all of the other Jewish boys. But he was actually taken from a basket in the water and then raised in Pharaoh's house. He received the best education. He had all of the privileges and all of these things. But the thing was, was that you could take the boy out of the Jewish ghetto, but you couldn't take the Jewish ghetto out of the boy. He still felt and identified with the Jewish people that were living in the squalor and the slavery situation that they had. And so these things mattered to him, even though he was literally in the palace. So he should have been a man of privilege. Instead, he identified with God's people. Now, I don't know about you, but everybody loves a hometown hero. Can I get an amen, right? That's who Moses was. He stayed with us when he could have gone somewhere else. He stayed with us in the difficult times instead of going to be, you know, the guy who had all the privilege. And so this is why they loved him. He was the one who wrote these first five books. They revered Moses. Now we see in, Gen or in Exodus chapter 3, Moses goes and he kills a man. He kills an Egyptian slave uh, uh, owner, and he basically is trying to rally the people behind him to overthrow the Egyptian yoke. He's trying to do God's job before God said go. He's trying to get ahead of God, and I don't know if you all have ever had that experience where you've gotten ahead of God. You had a great idea, and if God would only get on your page, things would be perfect, right? And so if this is you and you and me kind of can identify, we, it's hard for us to judge Moses, but that's exactly what happened for Moses. And then Moses is sent away. He's sent out into the desert, and he feels like he has been turned his, his, had his back turned on by God, that he is a person who's out of God's good graces, that he had a shot, he blew it, and it's over for him. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that numbers of decades go by. It's not just a few years, it's not just a couple of months or weeks, literally decades pass, and Moses is out there, not as a priest, 
not as a man who is out there knowing all of these incredible things about the palace. He's out there in the most humble possible circumstances. He's taking care of sheep on the backside of the desert. And in, in, in this, okay, I'm going to tell you, this is my view. This is not um, scriptural. I, it's just what I see in my mind's eye when I begin to think about this story. I think about Moses being there and hearing something in the distance. And he kind of goes to the rise of a ridge, and he hears something, and maybe even starts to see a little bit of his light. Now, I'm embellishing. I'm telling you what I see in my mind's eye from the words that I read in the Scriptures. I don't think anything I'm saying is against what the Scriptures say, but it's just the picture in my mind's eye. I can see Moses just kind of making his way up and over that ridge, and as he goes over that ridge, I can see the light in the distance, and he's like, huh, I see something burning over there, and I can't figure out what it is. And I don't see this big, huge bush. I don't see this little bitty scrub either. I kind of see it maybe a medium-sized bush, something like this. But in the process of Moses going towards it, he realizes that it's been burning for a while. Again, this is just my vision. But as he goes closer to it, Instead of that bush being consumed and turning into a crisp like you would expect that it would, it's still there. It's just burning and burning and burning and burning, and it's been burning for a while. And as he gets closer to the bush, you've heard of the burning bush experience, right? This is it. This is what it's referring to. And as he gets closer to that bush, this is straight scripture. This is not my conjecture. This is straight scripture. The Bible tells us, that in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord speaks to Moses out of the bush. And he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, uh, here I am. <laughs> What's going on? There's a, somebody speaking to me out of a bush. And then in verse 5, something that you will probably recognize if you've read the Old Testament scriptures or even heard and hung around with uh, people from, the, uh, from a church. God says, don't come any closer Take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is, you know, holy ground. He's in God's presence. He goes from the mundane to the incredibly beautiful. He goes from the every single day to the incredibly sacred that quickly, and it's just God speaking to him, finding him where he is on the backside of that desert. And suddenly Moses, who thinks that everything that he had in his mind and heart to do for God and God's people, who had given up on it decades ago, much less a year or more ago. I mean, decades ago, he gave up on anything ever happening for him in this way. And suddenly, it's all back on the table because God is speaking to him. Now, here is where it gets really, really powerful because God speaks to Moses and he says, here's what I want you to do. Verse 6, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land and take them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites. And he goes on and lists a number of people that are living in the promised land that he's going to send out so 
that God's people can inhabit the promised land. But Moses says to God in verse 11, (laughs) well, hold on, let me back up just a little. In verse 10, he says, so now I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people out of the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. And so right here, God commissions Moses and says, it is now time for you to go and do a work, not just for me, but with me. He goes and sends him probably to one of his stepbrothers, somebody who is raised as a brother of his own, who is now the most powerful man in the world at that time. And he is supposed to go into his presence, the guy who ran decades ago from that place, and say, I'm here to tell you, God says, let my people go. Now, be very clear about this. This man that he is about to go and face He has been told since he was this small or maybe even smaller that there is only one God and it's him. You guys understand? You see, back in those days, if you were a ruler of an incredible empire, you were referred to as a deity. And so when Moses eventually goes and says to him, you need to tell, you know, you need to tell everyone to let the people of Israel go because God says so. He's like, God, man, I'm a God. You're looking at a God. You're in the presence of a God right now. That's me. You don't tell me what to do because I myself am a God. You guys understand? This is what's happening in all of this. But in the process, Moses starts getting afraid. He starts fearing and says, I'm not doing that. I don't feel good about that at all. I'm not wanting to do that. And by the way, you know, maybe 40 years ago, I was down with this plan, God. But right now, I'm, I'm out. I'm not interested. You had a shot with me. I had a shot with you. You know, I tried to do something good. And it all just went, you know, all the pieces. What am I going to do now? You know, you could have had me when I had something to offer and something to give. But now, this is all I have and all I am. And I'm not available anymore. And by the way, why in the world me? Why me, God? I mean, you know who I am. You know what I've done. You know what I'm not capable to do. I mean, why would you even call me? And besides for that, these people, when I tried to reach to them before, they didn't know who I was. They didn't think that I cared about you. And by the way, God, I don't even know what to tell them that your name is. We don't even know the name of who you are to tell them that you are the one who sent me. This is the conversation that Moses is having with the burning bush. You guys with me? And so in the process of this, this is where the iconic words are spoken. As Moses stands there with the burning bush still burning and yet not consumed, stands there with his feet on the sand and the dirt because he's no longer in his sandals. He says, I don't even know who to tell them has sent me. And God says, here's what you tell them. You tell them that I am who I am has sent you. And at that moment, God speaks his own name. He introduces himself to Moses and to all of us. And he says, I am. And there's also a variant which could be saying, I am who I am. And then there's a variant that could also read it, I will be what I will be. In other words, I have always existed. I am. It's a present tense verb. It's not I was. It's not I will be. I am across history 
Across millennia that we can't even fathom, God has always existed. There's never been a time that God didn't exist. There will never be a time that God won't exist. He just always is in the present. He sees the incredible future and the incredible past and sees it all as one present tense thing. He is the I am, and he alone sits in that place. I am who I am. And then there's also the element of saying, I will be who I will be. Now, here's where it's going to start getting personal for us. And I want you to listen to me and understand something. For most of us, as someone had once really said incredibly wisely, we have a God that we want to make into our own image. That's why we love to have these little statues and we had love to have all of these little things that tell us who God is and what he looks like. But he is the God who will not be held by a graven image. He is the God who will not be defined by you and by me. And for modern people, we are desperately trying to remake God in our image. And for us, one of the best things we can hear this day is God to say to us, you don't get to tell me who I am. I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. You can, t- you can take that, you can come to me, and you can find everything you're searching for, or you can turn your back. But it does not change God. He is going to be who he is going to be. And sometimes it will be exactly what you need. And sometimes it will hurt you in a place that you never knew you could be hurt before. But God is who he is. He doesn't change for man. He doesn't change with the times. He doesn't change with the fashion. He is who he was when he spoke to Moses out of the bush in the same way that he's talking to you and I today. He is going to be who he's going to be. He doesn't go, you know, I wonder if they'll like me in 2020. You know, everything's changing that internet thing. Maybe I should get a Twitter account. I think that way all the kids would think I'm great. And by the way, Twitter is gone, I think. It's Snapchat or IG now. You know, I'm like, God's going to do that. No, no, that's not God. God's like, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And I don't adjust to the times. The times adjust to me, right? So here he is, and he's speaking to Moses, and he says, this is who I am. And from this point forward, this is now the name of God that the Jewish people will not use. They literally at times will write the name, and it is something that's called the tetragram. Uh, No, I'm going to say it wrong, so maybe hopefully it's going to be up here. The tetragrammaton, or Y. H-W-H, pronounced our English way of Yahweh or Yahweh. Now, you guys have heard that before, right? You've heard Yahweh before. This is what it is. It's literally four consonants with no vowels. It is also the personal name of God, and it was so holy that it was not spoken of off of temple grounds. They would write the name when they were inscribing the Bible from one to the next to the next. They would write the name and finish, and they would throw that pen away once it had been written because it couldn't get any better. They would write the name and then throw it away. As a matter of fact, they even believed it to be so holy that there are grammatical errors having to do with the name. They didn't print Yahweh every time. Some of them would change the word to say Lord instead of the personal name of God. Because of that fact, there's some differences of how many times this comes about. It's not few, 
But I will tell you that the, the, the Jewish people believe that every time you wrote that tetragrammaton or Yahweh, when they wrote it down, you could never destroy that piece of paper. You had to bury it in a cemetery burial or bury it there, uh, you know, in the, the temple area. But it was never to be thrown away because it was made holy because it had the name of God upon it. They took it incredibly seriously. And it was basically, I am who I am. Now, hit pause with me. I've gone to a lot of trouble to make sure you understand the background but now you hopefully can get a little picture of how serious these people took it when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. That You don't play with that. You don't say that. You don't pretend. You don't put yourself on the same level as God. You just don't. And Jesus did. And even when the Bible tells us in John chapter 8, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, do you realize what it says a little further down? It says, immediately they reached down and they picked up stones because they were going to stone him. It was him being blasphemous to the point of deserving death because he had made himself co-equal with God. Every time he said, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the light of the world, people were looking around for stones to throw because it was blasphemy on the highest order. Now, here's the deal with blasphemy. It can either be true or it can be false, and there's not really a whole lot of gray area in between. Here is the truth. Jesus was being blasphemous unless he was telling the truth, but if he told the truth, then it wasn't blasphemy. And so as we go over the next few weeks and talk about the I am's of scripture, I hope you'll come. I want to lay the foundation today and I'll be talking about what each one reveals about the character of God, how each one tells us a little bit about who he is and it's Jesus in his own words. But let me just say this very quickly. Here's the something to learn that God gave his, uh, all of us insight into his character by how he revealed himself to Moses he was the source that needed no other resource to sustain him. Do you guys understand? Here's what I'm saying. When he revealed himself to Moses, he was in the middle of a what? A burning bush. But when you set fire to a bush, especially one on the backside of the desert, you got a little bit of time, but you don't have a whole lot of time because eventually it's going to do what? It's gone. It's going to be burnt up. But the Bible tells us that as Moses approached it, he realized that thing was burning, had been burning for a while, but it wasn't being burnt up. This was something different. Now, we sang a song a minute ago, Jesus, you're the cup that, <laughs> that won't run dry. This is the concept that God presents himself to you and to me as. He presents himself to the, as a, to the world as the antidote for everything else that has left you empty. He presents himself to you as the source that needs no other resource. It, it won't change if suddenly every single person in the world ceased to believe in God. God will still be God. It's just us that will suffer. And so he needs no other source because he is the source. He needs no other resource. He needs nothing from you, but you and I need everything from him. And so as he presents himself, he's showing who he is. I'm just going to be here. I'm going to exist. You can turn around and walk away, and yet it won't change me. I'll just sit here, and all of these things that should happen and burnt up and all the resources gone and burnt, 
not going to happen because I have an infinite power supply. So for you and for me, we need to understand and clue into what he's teaching us. This is what he's saying. I am. I will exist. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. But I am also the incredible power source. I am also the place that you find meaning and purpose. And everywhere else, you will eventually get tired of these things. And can I tell you something? Man, we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all said to ourselves, if one of these days I could ever drive that car, and we drove that car, and it wasn't quite all that we, that we thought it was going to be. Can I get an amen, right? You know what? Oh, if I could only have that girl. Oh, if I could only be married to that guy. Oh, and you know what? Maybe you got him. Maybe you got her. And you found out that what you thought was going to bring you fulfillment still left you empty. You probably said to yourself, if I could just make this much money, I will have it made. I'll never want for anything else in my life. And you made it two decades ago. And you made it to that spot and you're still going around. You know, I could really use a raise. (laughs) Why is that? Because all of those resources eventually run dry. They do. You've been there. I've been there. Let's not pretend that it's not true because we've all experienced it ourselves. And so when that happens, Jesus says, I am not a resource. I am the source. And there's a huge difference. Amen. You guys with me? Amen. So if you guys can give me a good amen, I'm going to keep moving. Can, can I get a good amen? amen. Uh, y'all must really be ready for me to move. Okay. All right. Let's go to this next slide here. And can I just say something? This is true. As we look at this, most of us all start from this place of belief and preexistence anyway, whether we've stopped to think about it or not. If you really stop and think about it, for example, when you believe that this world came from the Big Bang Theory, and I'm not here to just like poke at you or anything like that, but can I just say something? When you tell me that you believe that this world came because our, you know, particles collide and they turned into this incredible watch-like intricacy and all that, I'm not trying to say anything, but I do want to ask one question. Where did those particles that collided come from? We're already talking about pre-existence. There had to be a source to draw those particles together. And there had to be those particles in the first place. And for even those who believe without a doubt in the Big Bang Theory, they can't explain where those particles, how they came into being. Because everything that we know about the laws of thermodynamics, things repel and they don't collide most of the time. But even if they do, they have to exist to collide We come from a place of understanding that somehow all that we see came from something that existed outside of our creation of it. That nature created something, if that's how you want to term it. I don't believe that. I believe God created something. But even if you just believe that nature brought this about, okay, if if I go that far with you, just tell me where did the particles that collided come from? Where did those come from? Because you're understanding a pre-existing thought. Do you guys understand? So here for me and for you, we must say to ourselves, we already understand pre-existence. We just don't always put the thoughts in place and say, wow, I guess I was kind of right there on the doorstep of God anyway. 
Now, very quickly, I want to just make a, a quick point that J.D. Greer is a guy who has a podcast. He's a pastor from out in California. Um, oh, wow. We actually got it. That's incredible. I, I didn't know if I had a single picture, but this guy uh, from Summit Church out in Carolina, um, he has some great things, and some of the things that I'm about to share with you come from that. So let's go to this next slide and see where we're at. Here's what I would say. Our universal dimensions, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. If you and I fired a gun that was a hunting rifle, a bullet travels about one half of a mile per second. You guys with me? The closest star that is not our sun is four light years away. That means traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. You travel that fast for four straight years, never stopping, and you finally reach the closest star, not our sun. The, uh, the, the, the scientists also tell us that there are even others that you can travel for thousands and hundreds of thousands and even millions of miles at light year speed and still never get to the edges of our galaxy. I mean, pardon me, of our edge of our universe. And so let's be very, very clear. That is an incredibly vast area out there that got there somehow. And if it's not God, then I don't know who got it there. Now, I, I understand that not everyone understands or believes in this way, but I'm just here to tell you that even the closest things in our solar system are incredible. Let's go to our next slide here. I actually had a picture of... Do you, any of you guys know what this planet is? This is, well, I shouldn't say planet because I don't think it's officially a planet anymore. Anybody got an idea now? This is Pluto. Maybe a planet, maybe not. I don't know what day it is. It just depends. But this is Pluto. If you want to go to Pluto, they sent something that's called the New Horizon, and they sent it out to see what Pluto was all about and take pictures of it. And here's what they found. Let's go to this next slide. Here's what they found. They're, they sent a craft traveling roughly 20 miles per second. That's 40 times faster than a bullet fired from a gun. And it reached Pluto only after traveling nonstop for nine years. That's the edge of our solar system, much less all of the universes that go past that. We live in an incredibly vast place that got there somehow. I choose to believe with all of my heart that God is the one who put it there. I believe that with all of my heart. Because nothing else makes any sense to me because I know how incredibly orderly it is. It's incredibly orderly. We're going to talk more about that in the next few weeks. So let's go to this next slide very quickly. Here is the idea of a burning bush experience. It's something that you can't necessarily explain, but you also can't ignore. You can't explain it, but you can't ignore it. You can't fully explain it, but you also can't seem to ignore it. Do you know what happened when Moses came across and he came and he said, what is this thing? Oh, I got to take my shoes off. I'm standing on holy ground. God didn't say, so let me explain to you why the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. Let's start there. That's not what God said. He said, you're in the presence of I am. You're in the presence of the great I am. So take your shoes off and show some reverence, this is important. And here's what I'm gonna do. We're gonna work together on a project that I have to free my people from the empire that's ruling in this world right now. That's what he said. That's the New Texas version, but that's what he said. 
God didn't explain it all, but Moses couldn't ignore it. Now, let's talk with you and me. Have you ever had a physical thing that happened in your life that you couldn't explain, but you knew that God was in it? (laughs) Have you ever had a scientific question that you didn't necessarily know all of the answers to, but you knew God was in it and you just couldn't get away from it? Have you ever had the question of why does evil exist? And if there is something that is pure evil out there, is it possible that there is something as well that is absolutely, purely, and totally good? And if that was out there, what would his name be? Would it be I am? Would it be God? Would it be Yahweh? You see, Have you ever had a relational experience where you just knew, you couldn't explain why it worked, but it did somehow, and you knew God had to be involved in it? Or have you ever had something where you said, you know what, I just put this out there, God, if you're real, show me. And he showed me something that I can't fully explain. I can't even fully put it into words. I can't explain what it was like to stand with my shoes and sandals off in front of this bush that was burning for 20 minutes and yet it didn't consume anything. And I'm hearing a voice and there is nothing there except for the burning. I can't explain it. I just know that it happened. Those are burning bush experiences and God is reaching to you and to me and drawing us close doesn't mean that you will have all the answers. It means that he is searching for you and searching to reconnect with you. Now, very, very quickly, here's the big idea, and then I'm going all the way to the end of the message. Here's the big idea. God exists without explanation, and yet he reveals himself to everyone who seeks him. I'm going to say that one more time. God exists without explanation. He's not there to explain everything to you. That's not who God is. I'm going to be who I'm going to be, and I am who I am. If you understand, wonderful, but that's not my job, to explain myself to the creation that I have created. Do you guys understand? I know that sounds a little harsh, but he's God. He's the one who brought it all into existence. He's the one who is powerful and true, and he is the one who reveals himself to everyone who seeks him. Here's the promise from God's word. If you will seek me, you will find me if you will seek me with all of your heart. The incredible thing is, is that 7 billion people in this world, if they seek God, God will reveal himself to them. And here's the most amazing thing. Yahweh is not just God. He is also the God of the second chance and the third chance and even the fourth and 14th and 40th chance in my case. That God pursued me when I wasn't pursuing him. When even the things that were drawing me towards him, I ignored and yet he wouldn't let me go. And maybe looking back on your life, some of those things that you can't explain, but you couldn't ignore, maybe you understand what I'm saying when I say it's a burning bush experience. And let's be very clear, here's how you apply this message There are three things, and this is how you apply it. Where is God drawing your attention to his movement in your life? Maybe he's revealing himself to you like he's never revealed himself to you before. 
Maybe he is coming and redeeming you. He's pulling Moses off of the scrap heap in this place. He's like, I've still got work for you to do. I know you think nothing that has happened has been important, but I'm here to tell you I'm here to redeem it all. It's all going to make sense. Just stay with me. And maybe in your life and my life, God has redeemed all of those things that you thought were just random hurts and heartaches, and God is going to redeem them, and you can already see it. And then maybe he is recommissioning you and me. And by the way, isn't it interesting? Co-mission, you and I together on a mission with God, not just simply for God. It's an incredible thought because as he sends Moses, Moses is like, I can't go. I'm not talented enough, not smart enough. And God, why in the world would you choose me? I'm a nobody. Nobody cares and nobody knows me. I'm nothing. And God's like, cool, that's exactly what I was looking for, right? He's like ready to send Moses. So for you and for me, circle this. Is God revealing himself? Do you know that God is at work redeeming something that's gone on in your past and it's happening even right now? Or maybe God is speaking to you and sending you on a mission to do something for him and with him. Don't turn your back. He is who he is, but yet he wants to reveal himself to you and to me. Not for his good, but for ours. It's a beautiful thing. Very quickly, here is something that I want to share with you as I close. How many of you guys know this guy right here? Y'all know who that is? I give you a little hint there, right? Who is it? Steve Jobs. He passed away a few years ago. You know that. I know that. You probably have something of Steve Jobs' creation in your pocket. At least probably about 75% of us do, maybe a little more. Steve Jobs has passed away, and we know but he gave his last interview to 60 Minutes and he was asked this question, do you believe in God? Here's exactly what he wrote, exactly what he said. In that 60 Minutes uh, interview, he said, throughout my life, sometimes I have believed in God and sometimes I haven't. But ever since I found out that I have cancer, I find myself believing a bit more because I wanna believe in an afterlife. Because when you die, it can't just all disappear. The wisdom that we've accumulated as a race, somehow it's got to live on. It can't be like an on-off switch that you just click it and you're done. Incidentally, at that point in the interview, Steve Jobs goes on to say that part of the reason that he hates putting the on-off switch on all of his devices, and you guys know the newest phones, they don't even have that button that I love. And I'm not sure I don't want, that I want a phone that doesn't have that button, right? The reason that he hates those buttons is because they're on-off switches. And he said, I cannot bring myself to think that something just simply ceases to function, including the human life. Isn't that interesting? Well, here's what I know. Maybe you can remember this little tidbit next time you go and try to turn your phone off and you have to go all the way, oh, what do I, I never turn my phone off, right? Why? Because Steve Jobs created it because he didn't want things to just cease to exist. And the one force in this world that exists beyond 
is the God who holds it all together and holds it all in his hand, who sent his son, who called himself the great I am. This is God. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And I am the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is God. And here's what's even crazier than all that I've said, that maybe he's calling you. Maybe he wants to talk with you. Why? Because God loves us. He created us for that relationship. So if you are wandering from him, if you've turned your back on him, if you're running away from him, today is your burning bush telling you, you don't have to run anymore. Come close and let's reconnect. Heavenly Father, as we end our time together, I thank you that you have us, not because we are good or not because we are godly, but because you love us so deeply and so amazingly. I pray that whatever has taken us away from your presence, that as we hear and understand that there is something out there, but that we would fall at your feet declaring you alone to be God and saying you are God and beside you there is no one else. And so God, draw us close to yourself. Make us, Lord, the people that you desire for us to be and may we be changed into the image of the Almighty. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. May God bless you so much. Please be here next week. We'll be talking about Jesus, speaking about the the I am's that are yet to come. And uh, so each week they're going to be coming from different places in in the Gospel of John. And you can read that in your scriptures if you'd like to this week. Let me just remind you, if you're here for the first, second, or third time, please swing by our reception counter and grab a little gift from us saying thanks for being here. And I just want to say I appreciate you guys and your attention. We're going to end the way that we always do, and you could probably say it with me. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you. You're dismissed.